Well, good morning and welcome everybody to Parallel Church. Let's just take a minute and welcome everyone who is joining us this morning from our Tabor campus, our Lethbridge location, Claire's home, Okotoks, Lloydminster, and online. It's so good to be in church with you all. This morning we are starting a, or joining in for our second week of a series called Parallel and our playbook. Um, We're discussing four values that we own as a church. And we're kind of playing off a sports uh, analogy here, a sports term. And this is kind of funny to me because I feel like I get joked on a lot in our campus pastor group because I'm not much of a sports person, but I actually really enjoy sports. Growing up, I did sports like soccer, no, not soccer, skiing, gymnastics, swimming, and rock climbing. And all of these sports were sports where I could be on a team, but not actually on the team, which meant that I could give it my all, and no matter what anybody else did, it didn't actually work against me compared to things like soccer and basketball. But in a church, church is different, and so our playbook looks different. We need to be able to own things that we can take into our church, into our community, support one another um, to be able to move things forward. We're called to be the body of Christ, not the toe of Christ or the thumb of Christ, which means we actually need to work together as a team and as the body. Every one of us has a part to play and something to be able to contribute. So what does that look like when we all come together? Last week, we learned about the first one, and that's to love all. Love has no contingencies, and we believe that perfection isn't required to be accepted. We can align even if we don't agree with one another. We strive for unity, but we're not here for uniformity. We think of love sometimes as a mushy word. You know, it's, it's fluffy or it's feminine, but the reality is, is that love is hard. It's hard work. And love is what can actually set us apart as being different. In John 13, 34, it says, A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus didn't say, hey, you just need to love me. He said to love one another. We can acknowledge the imperfection in ourselves and those in our community, but we're dedicated to loving all, and that takes a lot of work. That means that we get involved in people's lives no matter how messy. And we believe that everyone matters to God, even if God doesn't yet matter to them. Religion says that you can't be involved until you've got it all together. You have to follow all of these rules before you can start a relationship with Jesus. But Jesus regularly talked to people that didn't have it all together. He said, hey, come with me. The people that were Um, viewed poorly, the people that other people wanted to just point out their sin and their mistakes, he said, hey, come and be a part of my team. Come follow me. Come do this with me. He loved them right from where they were at, and we want to be able to follow that same example. In Ephesians 5, 1 to 2, it says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's good for us to remember that what you love, you'll sacrifice for. So if you love your family, you're going to make sacrifices for your family. 
And if you love your job, you're going to make sacrifices for your job. Jesus loved us and gave himself up as a sacrifice to God. In Galatians 5, 6, it says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. We want to be a church that counts. So we need to look at the ways that we express things through love. You can't just say that you have faith without actually expressing it, without actually doing something. That would be religion. And you can't just love without expressing it without, through sacrifice. It must be authentic. And that brings us to our second value today, authenticity. The idea of sacrificing is giving something that costs you something. It's not easy most of the time. It can be hard. Jesus didn't just say that he loved us. He gave himself up for us. We need to figure out how do we be authentic in the ways that we give when we think of the word authentic and how it gets used today and in today's culture, we often think of, this is who I am. This is who I'm free to be. I don't have to conform or change. This is just me. Take me as I am. Accept me who I am. And by definition, authentic means worthy of acceptance or belief as conforming to or based on fact not false or imitation, but instead real and actual. Authenticity isn't a free pass to be led by our emotions, to be whoever we want to be. There's something within us, an origin within us, a purpose within us, something that we're called to that allows us to be our authentic selves. Feelings are great indicators, but they're not great dictators. So if we start letting our feelings run the show, in the name of authenticity, we start to actually get it wrong. I can authentically love my husband, but not always feel madly in love with him and still have an authentic relationship with him. I steward our marriage or strive to steward our marriage based on the fact that we have an authentic relationship, not just the feelings that I have in that moment or that day or time to time that can change. The world sees us say, love one another, but we often hear um, that Christians are accused of being hypocrites or not practicing what they preach. They're saying that our actions don't match what we're actually saying. And we need to remember that our actions need to match what we're saying. We need to look for ways to practice what we preach. We need to value authenticity. We need to be authentic. So how do we actually do that? How do we actually need to be authentic? And where does it count? I want to highlight three ways today that we can actively work on growing in our authenticity. The first one is to be authentic with God. This might sound really simple, and yet I think that it's a challenge for us more than we realize. You can't go somewhere without identifying first where you are at. So if you have a relationship with God, be real with him about where you're at. What are you feeling? What are you thinking? What's going on in your world? Bring that to him. There are similarities in our relationship with God in the same way that we might have a relationship with a spouse. Uh, once upon a time in my kitchen, uh, Joel and, and I were having a conversation 
and we'd had a babysitter and a babysitter used my really nice tea towel to clean up something that spilled on the ground. It was probably pasta or something. And now this tea towel was stained and I was frustrated and I'm talking with my husband and I was like, I just have these tea towels and these are the pretty ones. These are the decor tea towels. And then there's these tea towels over here. And these are the ones that can be used for the spills and thrown in the laundry and all of these things. And he starts laughing at me and he's like, yeah, that's because you have preferences. And I was like, what are you, what are you saying right now? What, like, are you saying that I'm like high maintenance or, or like you should probably expand on this? And he said, no, you have preferences. And I don't have to understand all of your preferences, but I know what your preferences are. And in the same way, in in a marriage, we want to learn what our spouse's preferences are. Because when I can love my spouse in a way that means something to them, it's going to have a greater impact in our relationship than if I just love them the way that I want to be loved. Joel doesn't understand all of my preferences. I don't understand what all of his preferences are. But we actively look for ways to be able to elevate them to pour into our relationship. God also has preferences. And sometimes we don't fully understand why or what that looks like, but he has preferences too. And our heart is to want to be able to please him and have a full relationship with him. So learning his preferences helps us to experience that fully. In 1 Peter 2.5, it says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, Peter's talking here about spiritual sacrifices because the physical sacrifices were done away with when Jesus became the sacrifice once and for all, which is pretty cool. But he's still bringing up that there are sacrifices that we make. We should offer sacrifices that are acceptable to God. And what are they? In Hebrews 13, 15 to 16, it says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for such sacrifices God is pleased. The idea of sacrifices have kind of disappeared in the church today. Um, Idolatry is disordered sacrifice. And church has sometimes become about us and our personal preferences, what we want to get out of church rather than what God actually designed the church to be and his relationship for us. When the order of our worship becomes broken, we also become broken. We don't experience that fullness. St. Augustine said the essence of sin is disordered love. In Psalms 141, 2, it says, May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. So lifting of hands is a sacrifice. And God has a thing for hands. And you can actually read through the scriptures, and he talks about hands a lot. Hands in the original Hebrew, um, the original Hebrew word for hands is yad. Some of you might feel like that's a sacrifice. Why are people lifting their hands in church? Why are they doing that? Are they being showy? What's going on here? What's actually happening? But when we lift our hands, it's a sacrifice that pleases God. 
it's not so that we look more spiritual. It actually shifts something in you. It shifts into a surrender position. It shifts to a place where your focus is upward instead of what's going on right in front of you or what might be going on in your week. Body language in our relationships plays a big part of things. I think it's estimated that 80% of our communication comes into body language. But we don't often think of having body language with God. And yet, again, that, that shifting of our posture allows us to experience something different. Whatever you sacrifice for, you actually bring closer to you. And you might say, but I'm uncomfortable and I don't feel like it. And that's, that's actually the sacrifice part. But when you do it anyways, when you make a sacrifice anyways, even though you don't totally understand it, even though you don't totally get it, just like your spouse and the tea towels or whatever it is, you experience a deeper relationship, which is what we want to be able to have. We don't just add value in our marriages when we feel like it. We add value in our marriages regularly if we want to be able to have a healthy marriage. We need to remember that motion creates emotion. So sometimes we actually have to actively start something and lead our emotions in the way that we want to be able to go. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. In the New Testament, James, the brother of Jesus, tells us how to draw near to God with a sacrifice of worship expressed through our hands and our heart, and God will actually draw near to you. So worship. Worship is a great way to be able to be authentic in our relationship with God. Live like we mean it and live like we believe it. Spend time in prayer with him. It shifts those things in our hearts so that we can actually align our hearts with his. He's got big shoulders and he can handle the frustrations that you have. He can handle the concerns that you have, the doubts that you might have. The second thing that we can do to practice being authentic is to be authentic to others in church. Again, be real. There is no point lying about where you're at or keeping that hidden, hoping that you're going to have these fruitful relationships. In order to have community, we have to have some level of authenticity in order to go beyond the small talk conversations. Sometimes we'll joke about the idea of like you're driving to church, you drive to church, everybody's fighting, and then you get out of the car and you put your church face on. Anybody? I, I know we've been there. You put your church face on, you smile your way through it, and you go through your day. And I get it. We've been there. But are you letting anybody into it? Are you letting anybody into the season that you're going through, the struggle that you might be going through? You don't have to give all of the details, but letting people in can actually allow you to experience the kind of community that God wants us to be able to have in his bride the church. The Bible talks a lot about community, and in order to have community, we have to have some level of authenticity, some level of vulnerability. In Galatians 6, 2, it says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Sometimes you're the one that gets to carry things. Sometimes you have something that needs to be carried that somebody else can come alongside you with. And both are critical and part of the design for the church. It's cliche, but it's true when we say it's not weak to actually ask for help. 
None of us outgrow our need for community, which means that we all have to be intentional about having authenticity. It's not actually easy for me to be authentic. Um, I can tell you about a past story. I can tell you about something that I've gone through in the past that's done, that's dealt with. But the, um, in the middle of the, the moments and the emotions, that can be hard. That can be a struggle. But none of us outgrow our need for that community. In the last six months as campus pastors, we put some emphasis on, hey, how are we just hanging out, spending time together, celebrating the good moments and being able to like give each other hugs and encourage one another when we go through hard things. And there's been so much fruit um, in that for me, for my husband and I, and for each other. And, and good brisket. Um, <laughs> It's good and it's important and we don't outgrow it. None of us are past that. Even as pastors, we need to actively look for ways to be authentic. So you might be sitting here today and you might be thinking, I don't need church community. I don't need to let people in, but I just wanna encourage you. What if you took a step out? Maybe you don't have something that you're going through right now that you feel like needs to be carried and you're good and you're fine and you've got it all together. Use that strength to serve one, someone else. Be there for somebody else that might need an ear. But the thing is, is that that moment just doesn't just happen most of the time. We have to cultivate those moments. We have to cultivate those areas where we can be connected. And that's a big part of why we do house parties and, and different groups and get together is because it's, it's rarely in the passing by of each other, you know, in the bathroom line that we're telling each other our life story or, or sharing what's going on or the struggle or the celebration. Those moments are, are often in living rooms, they're in backyards, they're at the birthday parties, they're, they're doing life with one another. So when we carry each other's burdens, we need to be able to make space for that to actually happen. In Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Being authentic in the church isn't just what you get out of it, but also what you can give. When you can be real about where you've struggled and how you've seen God work in your life, you can also encourage somebody else and support someone else. It creates testimony and it builds faith for those around you that might be facing that circumstance or who may know somebody going through that and now they can be a light to say, hey, I've heard someone else go through this. This is how God showed up for them. And that is good. That's where we actually get to encourage one another and be the church. I love how this verse also reminds us to be diligent in our habit of meeting together. In Romans 12, four to five, it says, for just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We create an atmosphere where people can be authentic. We're talking about our parallel playbook. This is what we're owning as a church to be able to move the church forward. This is what we value. Part of, part of authenticity is, are we creating a place that other people can be authentic, that they can come in, that they can share where they're at? And just like Jesus did for us, we can meet them where they're at. We can help point them to hope. We can help be an encouragement. We can help 
them become part of the family. Number three is be authentic to the world around you. So let's just recognize for a moment, being authentic in church is different than being authentic in our community. There's, there's being authentic to other people that can encourage us, that can be in the corner of our marriage, in the corner of our parenting, in the corner of our life, and cheer us on. And then there's the people in our community that we might not know very well. We might not have relationship with them. Or maybe it's a varying degree. But people are going to look at you and know that you're different. Maybe they've seen you at the church. Maybe you're wearing a parallel sweater. Maybe they're just like, hey, what is different about you? And we get to go into that situation and be that light and represent well. We want to make sure that our actions count. And just like we said at the beginning, we want to make sure that we're actually practicing what we preach. That we aren't in a place of being hypocrites, but that we're able to say, hey, this is how we love one another. This is how we actively come alongside. How you live on a Sunday shouldn't be any different than how you live on a Wednesday. We get better with Jesus, and he's doing something in each of us. So don't limit Jesus' impact on your life to be limited to Sunday. He's doing a good work in you. Be authentic and let that carry over into the rest of your life. In Acts 2.45, this is the early church and a verse that we quote a lot around here. And it says, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So they made sacrifices. This is a big deal. Like they sold property and possessions to make sure that people in need were covered. They made sacrifice. They didn't just say, hey, we love our neighbors. They actually looked for ways to actually tangibly help their neighbors. They responded with uncommon compassion and care. This is part of why we do My City Care. This is part of why we also say, hey, who has a need and how can we help meet that need? I want to say it was about a year ago we had a need come up in our Okotoks campus and somebody said that they needed $1,800 um, for their child's dental bill and they didn't have that money. And somebody in one of our other campuses heard about that and within the week that money was transferred to the family. That is so good. These are the examples of how can we come alongside people in our church, but also people in our community. That we're not just saying, hey, we want to help. We'll be praying for you. God bless you. Goodbye. But no, how can we actually get involved? How can we be a part of the even when it's messy parts and be able to love people like that? Dr. Gerald Sitzer said, Christians, unlike many or most Romans, upheld high moral standards in their daily behavior and responded to the least of these with uncommon compassion and care. The early church stood out because of how they lived to not just the people that were in their groups, but people in their community. They took notice. There was a humbleness and a generosity about them living like they meant it. So if we're using this playbook sports analogy, how do people know we're different? What's our uniform? How are we living our lives in a way that people can tell us apart? Can they? Is there something that we could do to make ourselves a little bit more relevant in our community, showing up with that love? so that we can have that impact, being authentic, being real with people. The church isn't about 
the building, the church is each of us playing a part, being the hands and feet of Jesus. And when we can authentically live that out, we have impact in people's lives beyond what we might ever know. Theodore Roosevelt says, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. When you can be authentic, when you can be real about what you might have gone through, when you can be a little bit vulnerable, when you can create a space that people can come into and also share, and we can be authentic together, then people are able to hear what you might know. Then we're able to grow together. We're able to challenge each other. We're able to have iron sharpens iron conversations and ultimately get better in our relationship with Christ. Today's takeaway is we are authentic in our vision and dedicated to the community that we are building. We are Parallel Church. Let's pray. Dear God, I just thank you for the opportunities that we have to be authentic, for the ways that you are using each one of us within our circles. Give us eyes to see how we can grow in our authenticity with you, with others in the church, and in our communities as well. We thank you, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.